Yo, welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I am your host, Finn Melanson. The Stoke is as strong, is as ignited as ever. A lot of stuff in the works these days. We just published a State of the Single Track episode where my colleague and I, Mike Tamayo, give you an update on the behind the scenes of this show as well as the newsletter. And uh, yeah, let me know what you think on social media. It is definitely an experimental format, but we want to publish it from time to time, maybe on a monthly basis as we make an effort to be as public as possible, but how we do what we do and why we do it. Because yeah, there might be some people in the audience that want to go and do their own thing when it comes to business in the running world. And if we can serve as any sort of guidepost or inspiration, that is uh, way cool. Anyways, on to the show. In this episode, we catch up with pro runner, business owner, environmental advocate, and Salt Lake City local, Grayson Murphy. Grayson has a fascinating background, and she's just doing a ton of cool stuff in the running scene. I've been wanting to have this conversation for so long, and we finally have it. Uh, Just to cue it up, we talk about her experience at the 2021 Olympic trials and the steeplechase event. We talk about what I see as her unique ability to transition between and excel on the track, road, and trails, very similar to Max King, in my opinion. Uh, We also talk about how she handles life as a public figure in the running community and the wisdom she's picked up over the years navigating that. Um, We talk about her experience as an entrepreneur running a successful running-related internet business and a couple more topics, but uh, we also make sure to ask her what's interesting in the ultra world and when we can expect her to line up at a marquee event, you know, maybe a comrades or a Western States or a UTMB. A lot of good conversation threads in this one, but without further ado, welcome to the show, Grayson. All righty. Grayson Murphy, welcome to the Single Track Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here. We were talking about this offline. I am a fanatic about the Salt Lake City trail scene. I know that you were born and raised here, and this is also a special place for you too. For listeners that need further confirmation as to why Salt Lake is so awesome, what are your favorite parts about this city as it pertains to running? Well, if I haven't convinced you already, um, I think... The access to trails from the city is pretty unique. Uh, You don't find that in a lot of places, especially our cinnamon roll loop. I think that's pretty cool to be able to get on single track within, you know, a mile of where we're living. Um, And then the views and the mountains are special to me because it's home. So I always think of like home and I'm safe and I had them tattooed on me. I like them so much. So I think with just the views in general and then access to trails and the people I met you and we have so many running friends. So I think in general, the whole culture here is really welcoming and fun and just um, very inviting for trail running. Yeah. What's cool about the cinnamon roll, in my opinion, is like, yeah, you start just behind the Salt Lake City Capitol, which is in downtown Salt Lake. Uh, you get onto this trail called the Bonneville Shoreline Trail, which is like amazing single track. Mm-hmm. And then we finish up at a place called Straw Market where yeah. you can get like dollar cinnamon <laughs> rolls in, in this uh, in this world of inflation and high prices. These dollar <laughs> cinnamon rolls are, still find a way to be a dollar. So 
yeah and it brings the community together too but mm -hmm. anyways that's cool yeah and then access obviously to uh big cottonwood canyon and, and little cottonwood and there's just a whole variety of trails too yeah yeah i think mill creek is really underrated mm. and emigration those are my two favorites because i think everyone goes to the cottonwoods so i like to give some love to the two other little canyons and i know that you and we'll talk about this later in the show but you're active in the road scene the track scene the trail scene if i'm a runner that's primarily focused on track and the road but i want to dip in the trails where do you recommend I get started if I'm passing through Salt Lake? Oh, I always tell people to try Pipeline because it's really gentle. There's no hills. It's not technical for the most part. And you get a view at the end. So it's an easy way to get hooked on trail running without feeling like you have to climb a mountain first. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think I would 100% agree. That's a great intro to Salt Lake running. And mm -hmm. yeah, great views. Perfect grade. Yep. <laughs> single track. Yeah. Okay, I want to pivot to a completely different talking point, but it's, I think, the reason why I've, I've wanted to have you on the show for a long time, but this particular moment was what sealed the deal for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I was watching the Olympic trials with uh, our buddy, Mike Tamayo, who produces this show, and we were watching your preliminary heat in the steeplechase, mm -hmm. and you won. You crossed the line in first, and I'm wondering, I want to kind of go inside your mind, and I'm wondering how it felt to cross the finish line in first place knowing that you were going to compete in the final round of the olympic trials with the best field that the u.s had to offer for that event it was surreal i don't think that i it took me probably two days after to kind of process what that meant and what had happened and mm. um i don't that wasn't my goal going into the prelim was not to win it so it was kind of strange a weird feeling to have won it and then realize like did that just happen is this really what's happening right now um so it was cool it took me a while to process and then it did kind of shift my perspective going into the final from oh i just barely made the final to i'm actually competing for a spot on the olympic team now like yeah. i legitimately have a chance and that was a little scary to be honest to kind of realize so that i think put a little more pressure on the final for me yeah well, going back to the lead up to the trials, what were your expectations and how were you thinking about everything from a competitive standpoint? Like what what goals did you set for yourself going in? I knew that I could run the Olympic standard. Um, I hadn't raced a steeple. I didn't really want to for the for May, I think it was. So even though I didn't race, I did do a time trial here at the track just with me and my coach Kep and um, I ran... 216 for 2k over okay. full barriers and water pit um at 5,000 feet so we were pretty confident that i could run the olympic standard so i actually did and i do think i can run uh, quite a bit faster um was pretty happy with the time i got but disappointed it wasn't faster um so going into trials we kind of knew time wise mm. we were thinking it's going to take about well, sub 920 to get on the team. Right. So try and run that. Um, so it was interesting. Yeah, have those goals and then kind of feel them start to become a reality was a weird thing for me. Uh, and it was cool to have my family was there and then uh, my coach Kep was there too. And it was just cool to be like with the people I care about the most in that moment. That's awesome. Well, if I remember correctly, there was a really short amount of time between that preliminary round and the final round 
So what strategies were you using to celebrate what just happened, which was this huge accomplishment? It was a really talented field that you won, but then also getting ready for that final round. I just tried to lay low. Uh, I was staying outside of Eugene, which I did on purpose because I didn't want to be surrounded by that intensity and just all the people and the media for those three days. So it was an awkward time of three days, which is a little weird because then you think, well, when do I put, do I need a little workout in there? Am I going to get stale in three days? Which was a learning experience for me and Kep again. um, We would change some things, I think, going back. But I went to the beach with my family. Um, We had a good time. We went mini golfing, just got to hang out and enjoy time with them outside of being near the track. So that's kind of my go-to of prepping is just kind of not prep. (laughs) So basically separating yourself entirely from the activity. Yeah. Very Mm -hmm. cool. A couple more questions here. The first Mm -hmm. is um, we have a relatively short turnaround because I think COVID delayed the whole series of events, the Olympics, mm-hmm. et cetera. Is this an event that you plan to compete in again? What is it, two years from now? Is, it, is 2023 going to be when 20, the trials? 24. 2024, mm-hmm. okay. Are you going to be returning again, same event, same? I Yeah, maybe. We'll see. I tend to change my mind a lot and jump into things pretty quickly. So ask me in 2024. <laughs> I, I'm the same way. I dig that. <laughs> how far out for this year's event, how far out did you say, okay, I'm in, I'm committed I'm going to go do the trials. January. That's amazing. So about six months. Yeah. And for context, for anyone that's not, because this is mostly a trail running podcast and track is sort of a different world. The athletes that you were competing against, by contrast, had they had they committed to this training well in advance, like further out than January? How far out is the typical athlete preparing for this type of event? I would say since the previous Olympics. <laughs> so they're training from... This year is five years leading up to the trials, the chance to compete again. Um, and most most track athletes do do track all year round. So they have more of an off season right now in the fall and winter, but then they'll start again and run track through the summer. And, and that is not something I do. So I didn't run steeple in two years until this uh, March, actually. Have you had that conversation with anyone about just how impressive it was that you put in these performances on, on that short of a schedule. And yeah. are there any athletes in other <laughs> events or even in the steeple that you look up to because they've done similar things where on really short schedules, they've submitted these amazing performances? I don't think I could totally be missing someone because I'm sure people are amazing. Um, yeah. But I, no one comes to mind that has like completely pivoted or been away from an event and then come back. Yeah. Um, it seems like they're always kind of have their hand in the pot somewhere. Yeah. Well, the steeplechase fascinates me, and I think it fascinates a lot of people in the trail world because there's been a lot of people, as you know, that have come from a steeple background into the sport of trail running and been really successful, including yourself. You're mm-hmm. very successful in our sport, and we'll talk about that. A um, couple of things that I do want to cover could you define the steeplechase? Because I think we've all heard heard it talked about in the trail world, but some of us don't know exactly what's involved. And it is a unique event, so I'd, I'd love to hear you just give us like a quick elevator pitch on what the steeple is. Well, it's not the horse kind. There are no <laughs> horses involved. Um, it's 3K on the track. You've got seven barriers, a water pit, so 35 
barriers over the 3,000 meters. Um, it's tech kind of in between a middle distance and distance event, and it's typically a pretty strength-oriented person that does well in it, okay. which I think is why a lot of trail runners come out of steeplechase. And it's fun. The water pit, they're bar- so the barriers are not hurdles. They are four by six beams, basically, that span four lanes, and everyone is running in a pack over them. You're not in your own lane, which I think is a little thrilling, and that's why I like it, because there's an element of danger in there, and you get an adrenaline rush every time uh, you're in a pack of 20 women running at a stationary object at five minutes per mile. So I think it's kind of fun and um, maybe a little not for the faint of heart, because it does take you down. Uh, the barrier will not go down if you hit it. You are definitely the one that is going to fall down. The way you describe it, I can totally see why people who compete in that event convert over to trails so yeah. seamlessly. I mean, <laughs> downhill running, for example, is the first thing that comes to mind. Like mm-hmm. That involves athleticism, but also a sense of fearlessness. Yeah. And just this trust in your feet and that with each step, you're going to make the right one and you're not going to fall because if you do, there's yeah. some consequences. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Okay. I know you've said that you tend to make decisions close to the last minute, which I empathize with (laughs) because I'm the same type of person, but knowing what you know now about the steeplechase and what's involved to, you know, win the trials and potentially go to the Olympics, do you think you'd make the decision one way or another farther out for 2024 or would you follow the same path of like a January decision and then you prepare that way? Yeah, I think I would prepare that way. Um, it didn't seem to hinder me this time. Yeah. So, and I actually think the trail stuff and pivoting helped strength-wise because this was the strongest I've ever felt going over barriers. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that it's also the most trail running I've done kind of as my base period. So I think they really complement each other, actually, more than people would think. I dig it. No, I dig it. I think that there's a huge debate going on about, you know, whether you should go all in on a particular <sighs> event or all in on a sport. And you're an example of somebody who has diversified and had as much success, if not more than anyone. And I'm not sure where I've, if I've made up my mind yet, but you certainly <laughs> are proving out at least one side of the debate. The next question I want to ask you, and I think that you'll be interested in this one because you've had to deal with it a lot. And I think you you, you break the stereotype here, but there is this image that people have of the athletes that go to the trails early must have some lack of talent mm-hmm. in track and field or on the roads, and that's why they're doing it. Um, where do you think that that comes from? You know, I would love to know because I've been told that there's an entire Let's Run thread dedicated to me and that question. Wait, seriously? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty oh. hurtful. Don't read it. I'm not going um, to. <laughs> it'll make you cry. It made me cry. Um, it's, I don't know where the idea came from. I just think the people that are saying it, I think it comes out of ignorance and they don't know what trail running actually is or involves because, and I've talked about this now, I have a lot of track friends, road friends, trail friends. So I get a unique perspective in getting to talk to all these different groups of people. And I've talked to a lot of the road people and they're like, you know what? I, I'm good on the road. I am not good on the trail. And I've been running with these people on the trail and they are not good on the trail. So it doesn't mean that it automatically translates one way or another. They're two different skill sets. Doesn't mean you can't have both too. I just think people that 
are on the road kind of have a gatekeeper mentality that that's like the pinnacle of running where oh if you're trail running you're not as good or as fast but that's just not true and um, they might not be as good on the trail they just haven't tried so I think it's really kind of an ignorance and misunderstanding of sides you mentioned the let's run thread and I know we don't have to dig into that but I am (laughs) curious you know you're a public figure and uh, you're a talented runner you take a lot of awesome stands on important social issues you are breaking a lot of narratives going to the trails and competing in track and on the roads at the same time. What are some strategies you've picked up in the process to, to deal with that criticism and continue to be yourself and to feel good about what you're doing? What lessons have you taken from that process? One quote that always comes back to me, and I do sometimes need to remind myself of this, so it is a constant practice of kind of tuning it out, but the quote that really stuck with me and that I remind myself of often is to Um, not take criticism from someone you wouldn't also take advice from. Mm. And I think that's really important to know, um, is it Kep that's giving me this criticism? Because he's someone I really trust. It's my coach. I have a lot of faith in him. That means it's coming from the heart and it's true. I would take his advice as well. Is it some random stranger who I wouldn't let them train me? So why would I let them criticize me or take that to heart? So that's kind of one thing I always try and circle back to it sometimes it takes a couple hours (laughs) um but for the most part actually I've been I think I'm really lucky and all my fans are 99.9 percent very supportive and nice and I I think that kind of goes to with like you get what you put out so um put out kindness and you get it back I love that I think the the other thing that I want to ask here is you're obviously you're well connected too. like you, you you said you have trail running friends you have road running friends track friends based on your conversations do you see views about the trail running world changing because of the success you've had and also the exposure you've given for our sport to these other areas of running yeah yeah i definitely do um this year at the u.s mountain running championships it was super cool to see some girls that i competed with on the track trying trail for the first time and it was their first mountain race and they were just excited to be there. And um, I, they've told me and I know that I was part of that kind of opening that door and showing them like this exists and you can try it too. And it's fun and you don't have to think you're not good that you want to try it. Like, it's okay, we can do this and we can do both. So that's pretty cool. And um, one of the girls that made the team, Megan Lacey, okay. she I think was second, I can't remember her place, I dropped. But so she was at U.S. Mountain Running Champs. She made the team with me and uh, she ran Chicago Marathon on the road. She ended up DNFing. She had an injury, but um, she was training for road marathon and did the mountain stuff mid training block. So that was super cool. And just another example of people starting to kind of broaden their horizons. And typically, do you see these people saying, yeah, I'm going to double down. I'm going to keep doing this trail running thing. Or is it like, well, I, I had this experience and it was cool, but it's not for me. Like, do you see that as a gateway to further participation or how are you seeing it play out? Yeah, most people get hooked after one and then they can't stop. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, yeah. Um, this show, we entertain this whole thread of like, how do we grow the sport? How do we make this sport appetizing to people on track and in the road world? And so I'm, I'm just curious to get your take there because, yeah. I think, yeah, showing, well, A, destroying that stigma that it's somewhere you go once you're slow or retired or 
um, that it's if you don't have talent, that's where you go. Get rid of that first. And then two, I think showing people it's okay. Like you can have fun and do both. And the training is not all that different um, as long as you're not taking it to extreme. So you're not like a sprinter or a super ultra runner. But if you're kind of in the middle, you can do everything and it's okay. So you run for Saucony. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to know how Saucony views the trail running world and some of the investments they're making because obviously they're one of the most well-known brands in our sport they put out fantastic shoes i mean we're going to go on a run after this mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm wearing their endorphin pros i think shout <laughs> out to Saucony. um and so i'm just curious to know like how major brands start to think about our sport as it grows bigger and in your case you have conversations with Saucony, if not daily at least weekly or monthly mm-hmm. so what, what are you what are you hearing from them Yeah, I think we're really focused on, again, kind of back to what you said of how do we reach communities and rope them into the sport and get them interested. And we've had a lot of talks, too, about how to get younger people interested um, from even a high school age and kind of introduce trail running Mm. younger. So it's not something you find in your 30s once you've gone through the road scene and you've been spit out with it. so yeah, we've been looking at like, how do we get that in college and high school cross country meets? Do we need to go set up a booth somewhere or do like some running camps for kids on trails so that they can get introduced to this sport at a younger age and hopefully just get more attention from the bottom up and it will grow that way. Way cool. Transitioning here. So you're a full-time runner. I mean, you do many other things. I know <laughs> we can talk about how you're you're getting your master's degree and how you are dabbling in entrepreneurship very successfully but you know you are a pro runner you do this for a living Mm -hmm. and i'm always curious to know how pro runners think about like the the long term of their careers and i know we just talked about how you tend to make decisions relatively soon before an event comes about but could you also talk about any thoughts you have about like the long-term nature of your career and things that you're imagining that you'll do you know five years out 10 years out 15 years out like how do you think about the long term I think the first thing I always think about is I just want to be running competitively and so that always makes me think okay everything I do from here on out then needs to be focused on longevity and sustainability and prioritizing my health mental physical health Mm. um so just so that I can get there because I want to be like the women now who are running into their late 30s that's where I want to be over 10 years from now. So that's kind of where I need to get to. Um, I would love to run a road marathon. I think I'm going to love that. So very excited for that. And the Olympic trials are always going to be there. So that's always going to be a fun chance to try that. Um, Ultras eventually definitely want to do that. So there's a lot of things I want to do. I just want to keep taking little steps towards them and building up. I do want to do a bit of forecasting into your ultra career in a second. (laughs) But before that, you did mention one thing interesting, and that is you want to start doing things now that put you in a position to still be competitive and successful a decade from now, 15 Mm -hmm. years from now. What are some of the things that you're doing on a day-to-day basis that you think are going to set you up well? Um, Prioritizing health, like I said, both mental and physical. So um, I'm pretty cautious and kept as to with my training. We don't we're not looking to fry me um, mm. or be overcooked. So, and we kind of err on the cautious side at all costs. So, if I need a day off, I'm taking it. If something hurts, I'm going to get it worked on. I'm not going to like 
put myself in an injury cycle to where that becomes a detriment later on. Um, and then, yeah, I think just doing things that make me happy so that I want to keep running and competitive at it is important to me. So that's kind of why I mix things up a lot, which might not make sense to other people, but to me, that's what feels right. And if I can just keep being happy, it seems like the results follow because I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I dig that. I dig that. Are there any, um, <laughs> while I'm chewing on that, are there yeah. any particular like recovery tools or favorite go-to meals or meditation practices, stuff like that, that you incorporate in? Um, Which I know is like the 20% of a yeah. good athlete's lifestyle, but I think people like to know, what are you doing in between runs to like get yourself set up for the next one too? I feel like I eat a lot, which I think is important mm. to emphasize. Um, so just any food, but I, I always have a second breakfast. That seems to be like a staple in my day is a breakfast before I run and then one after. So I end up eating breakfast at like one o'clock sometimes, <laughs> but I don't care. Um, I love eggs and whatever form it goes in phases or waves so kind of whatever form of eggs I feel like that day and then I do have Norma Tech boots would say I'm not sponsored by them but shout out Norma Tech yeah bro. love them um it's a very passive way to recover so it's easy to lay there on watch tv with them on so you're not like moving yourself it does the work for you yeah. <laughs> so like that and the meditation I guess journaling for me is kind of one form of that mm. which is my training log so I like to put sit down every night and fill that out and make sure I know what is coming the next day and feel good about the day that just happened what are some common themes that you you write about I guess so I always write about my training and more than just like what I did I like to put what I thought and how I felt and anything that came up or anything funny I saw who I did it with so it's kind of a diary entry as well about the day and uh, it just helps me kind of put the day into perspective and be present for a minute and take it all in and also make sure that the training is on track and not getting carried away with anything. I think it's a great point to think about journaling as a form of meditation because I'll admit I'm somebody that has always been attracted to meditation but I'm not somebody that can just sit there with my own thoughts right. <laughs> without doing some sort of activity at the same time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think journaling is a great outlet. Yeah. And uh, we, we'll talk about the logs that you have created, which are awesome later on in the conversation. But I agree that it can be movement based. It can be yeah. writing based. It's all good. Mm -hmm. I want to actually come back for a second because we've been talking about some of the misconceptions that road and track people have on the trail scene but i want to be fair to them because i think that there are some cool things about those two scenes that make running great and you've experienced them as well mm -hmm. are there any elements of those two scenes that you think that you miss when you come over to the trails and you're like oh you know it'd be so cool if like that piece of the culture existed in trail running i think well the just massive crowds that do road races is really cool and would be cool to see at a trail yes. race um not thinking about the environmental impacts of that but <laughs> <laughs> from a concept standpoint i think that'd be really cool so maybe i need to go to utmb or something to see that um but i was at the new york marathon this last weekend and just seeing that and how the city comes together and celebrates for an entire weekend this race and they're out there for nine hours cheering yeah. people on 50,000 people are running through the streets through all five boroughs. It's so cool to see 
people band together like that. And I think it would be really cool to see that pushed more into the trail scene too. That's a, that's a fantastic answer. I was talking about that with Mario Fraioli from the Morning mm-hmm. Shakeout pod three weeks ago. And we reached the conclusion that at least right now, that would have to happen on the roads. Like he, he talked about this informal 50K that happens in Manhattan, for example. Oh, okay. That has a similar vibe. But yeah, you're never alone in the New York mm-hmm. City Marathon, which is so cool, yeah. especially from a crowd standpoint. Very cool. And I can attest to how cool UTMB is, at least as you're passing through the cities. Okay. Um, but that's a great answer. Yeah, yeah. I got to think about that one more. How do, how do we incorporate more of that crowd scene yeah. and that like social support along the way? Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> Maybe that's just something that's unique to roads in the same way that like the wilderness is unique to trails. Yeah, because I do think on that same flip side of that coin, um, it is cool to have moments and races on the trails where you are completely alone and to think you're the only one out there and you're racing is a weird concept yeah yeah yeah. so you were just in new york for the new york city marathon you were you in boston as well mm-hmm. um what are you training for now have those two experiences made you think about changing course and what you're doing like what are you up to right now like where yeah. are you, what are you working towards well so the Last week, the day before I left for New York, I found out that um, World Mountain Running Championships was postponed again till November of next year. It was in February. So okay. um, that kind of changed things. I haven't had a chance to sit down with Kep and go over things again because uh, we keep having to shuffle the cards every time this gets moved around. So now I think we are looking at all of our options. Um, track would obviously be fun in the spring if that is something I want to do. But admittedly, track is pretty hard for me mentally. Uh, It's just an intense environment, and I don't always enjoy it. So that's a hard thing to commit to sometimes, knowing kind of that's what I'm putting myself into. Um, And I wanted to run a road marathon before Boston and New York, and now I have to run one after seeing those two incredible races. So that's definitely on my radar um, but I would like to do that the right way and make sure I have a proper build for that. And I think that is an event I can be really good at. So I want to give myself a great chance to debut and run fast. Yeah. Um, so that would require at least 12 weeks of notice yeah. and I can like do a, a proper thing. build. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. You just touched on it again and we've mentioned examples of it in various points in this conversation, but you're an elite athlete. You're at the top of the sport in so many different categories. I'm curious to get your take on how you deal with the mental and physical toll of that responsibility. Um, because, you know, I'm not a pro athlete, not even close. Uh, I think a lot of listeners aren't either. But we all kind of struggle in similar ways to get out the door and run every day and to try to compete and to show up at races. And I, I think you've experienced it as as acutely as anybody what are some ways that you deal with that inevitable stress? I think just practice um, and being kind to myself and knowing that life ebbs and flows and there are going to be days I really don't want to get out the door and there are going to be days I'm jumping out of bed and ready to run and both are okay and yeah. I don't have to want to run every day. I probably shouldn't want to run every day um, and that that's okay. So just being kind to myself in those moments and realizing big picture as long as I have a cumulative training load I'll be okay yeah um and I am 
have enough within me, I think, to be able to overcome a couple of days off here and there. Maybe I didn't get the miles in that week I wanted, but mentally I'm feeling better about it. So just kind of finding that balance and giving yourself some slack. Do you find yourself using the same strategies to deal with success and failure? Or do you deal with those two things differently? So interestingly enough, and maybe I need a new word for this, but I always kind of think I don't really believe in failure um, in the traditional sense, because for me, if I learned something, even if it was what not to do, the experience wasn't a failure because that's something valuable I can take moving forward. So as long as I kind of have that mindset and I give it my all, which there are days I'm like, oh, I could have probably tried a little harder that day, but then you learn and you're like, okay, well then next time, make sure you get to that finish line, at least trying as hard as you could have. Um, Then I think that's kind of what moves me through failure. So that's kind of why I don't use it. No, that's a great mental model. I love it. Yeah. And then, so with success too, I think um, I kind of similar, it's like, if I learned something, it was a success. It wasn't a failure. So I can't really go too wrong. And I try and set myself up with goals pretty much so that I have some kind of success somewhere. So I'm not left feeling like the whole effort was a waste or the whole training block was a waste. You got something out of it. That's awesome. And you mentioned this earlier in the show. I'm trying to recall the exact quote, but it's, you know, in the same way that you wouldn't take advice from people that you're not working with on a day-to-day basis, you wouldn't also take like sort of the the criticism and and the noise from someone you wouldn't take advice from. Yeah. Do you take that same approach with social media? Because I know you've, you have a really significant audience. You're a lot of people look to you for inspiration, but we all know the social media model and inevitably there's going to be people that you have to listen to, or at least you have to receive messages from that aren't saying things that are pleasant. Do you take that same strategy there? And I think a lot of us are curious to know with that big of an audience, how you block out the noise. Yeah, I just, if it's negative, I just don't engage because it's not worth my time and I respect myself enough to not get involved with that for the most part. Um, There are some things I will stand up for if it's a broader issue more than just myself. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I think it goes both ways, but tuning out the noise and I always come back to that quote of just focus on your thing and keep your tribe small and don't take the criticism to heart from a stranger. They don't even know me. So it's not fair of them to be criticizing me. I love that. I want to move away from running for a second because I do want to ask you about some ultra running related stuff towards (laughs) the end. But let's talk about your involvement running a business and with this training log and planner. Can you talk about how that got started? Because I actually don't know this story and I've known you for three years. Wow. Okay. So my first year out of college, I was uh, on a team in Flagstaff, was pretty bored, didn't really have anything to do. Okay. Um, so I started making a bullet journal, which then was kind of the trend was you draw everything. So I was a blank journal with just graph paper, basically. And then you draw, you make the whole thing, you draw it yourself. So it was really fun, a cool creative outlet for me because I like to be creative. Um, yeah. Drawing is always fun for me. So that was fun and it was functional. So I thought, cool, I have my, what I really wanted was a daily planner and my training log in one place because I was sick of carrying around two books everywhere. Yeah. 
So I made it and I kept having people ask me where I bought it. And I was like, no, I'm, I made this. And I thought, wow, this could be, I think I'm on to something here. So I scrambled that same year um, really quickly. I'd only actually drawn maybe five months of my okay. own before committed to printing and producing I think we I did 500 the first year okay. um, training logs and planners and it was a really cool experience it was a bit rushed I was pushing people like please get this sure, done quick sure. um, and yeah it's just kind of blown up the last couple of years it's been fun to learn business uh, I did not major in business so that is something I've kind of had to learn on the fly but it's cool and I've always been an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, when I was a kid, I was always trying to sell stuff, make stuff, have little businesses. So it's kind of a little kid dream come true for me. I can tell you as somebody who studied business, you actually did it the right way. It's not meant to be done in the classroom, okay. like in the field, in the trenches, you know, making a product or a service and selling it. That's the way to do it. So yeah, what are some things you learned in the process? Marketing's really hard. Um, from when you're marketing something that's your own, with your name on it, it can be hard, at least for me, to be like, buy my product and my first name is on it. And sure. you're kind of self-promoting and that's not um, ever been kind of my MO. So that's been hard for me to kind of grasp okay. and separate myself from. And what's been fun has been like supply chain and learning like how to outsource things and how do I get things printed and made. And this year I worked with uh, my old teammate, Hannah, more previously all red um and we made bookmarks and sticker packs so that was a new expansion of finding like a plastic printer and can we get you to make this die cut for us uh so that was kind of cool to just be able to learn all those pieces and what yeah. goes into it um I'm trying to visualize this journal now. If I'm somebody who purchases this, what can I expect to see when I open it up and how am I using it on a day-to-day -day basis? So it's a training log and a planner, like I said. So each uh, layout is a week and you've got, you've got full months and then each week has its own layout. And then there's space for life and training for each day. And the idea is you put your appointments in it like I put this podcast in mind today and then I also put my training um, 10 miles earlier this morning and how that felt and what how it went so it's just supposed to be kind of an all-in-one you're an athlete but also a person and there's balance to it and you don't have to prioritize one or the other they can both be important and on the same page um, and then there's mental health prompts every month because Ooh. that's something very important to me and something I like to do. So when I'm journaling too, a lot of the times it's off of those prompts. And I just like to have that in there as a reminder. I think I told someone the other day too. I don't even, if you're not writing it down, I think that's fine too. If you're just reading the prompt and you think about it on your run that day, or you kind of just mull it over while you're bored at work, that's perfectly fine too. But it's just a way to check in with yourself and make sure you're addressing your mental health as much as your physical health. Yeah. Um, and then there are fun pages in the back, like birthdays and places to visit and a race schedule, a goals page. So it's just meant to kind of motivate you to be your best self in all parts of life, whether that's running or um, a different sport even. It's not specific to running and work, whatever it is you want to be good at. I dig it. So this thought just came to me. I wanted to address something you said earlier about the difficulty and 
in self-promotion <laughs> what I do here at the Single Track Podcast. It's on a much smaller scale and far less successful than what you're doing. <laughs> but to some extent, I have to deal with the issues of self-promotion as well. Mm -hmm. and, and the way I've decided to approach it is I think that what I'm putting out into the world is valuable, at least to a certain audience. And as long as I'm uh, confident in that someone on the other end is going to get value out of it and enjoy it and get inspired by it or learn something from it, it's all good. And I feel like what you do with your journal, people are getting a ton of value out of it and they like it. And so as long as you're presenting them with something that they're going to use and, and it's going to just have a huge impact on them. Yeah. That's the hope. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> no, I dig it. I've geeked out on your running, but I've also geeked out on all the marketing you've done for the journal and in the business journey there. So oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are some, I get, one more thing on this topic is, are there any things that you've found in the on the business side of the journal that's really worked for you from like a marketing standpoint or in the supply chain? Because sometimes we nerd out about this stuff on the podcast. So. <laughs> um, let's see, I guess asking for help and just don't be afraid to reach out to a contact and say like, hey, I've got this really cool thing. Can you give me a shout out or something yeah. like that? Um, Atra, American Trail Running Association, two years now, they've given me a shout out in their newsletter Nancy is really great. You know, we did a giveaway this year, so that was fun. So just partnering with people and kind of making it a reciprocal relationship has been something I would recommend if you're trying to promote. And then you feel like it's not totally self-serving if you're also kind of working with a partner. Yeah. So going further outside running, I think it's so cool that you're multifaceted. Like you have interests in business in the environment, on social issues. Could you talk a bit about the master's degree that you're pursuing yeah. and where the interest for that came from and how you find the time to balance everything <laughs> you do in running with a journal doing that? Yeah. Um, so my undergraduate degree was civil and environmental engineering. Okay. So I kind of had a taste of environmental engineering from that. And there are nowadays, it's hard to get out of that without kind of running into sustainability stuff. Yeah. So I have always wanted to go back to school since I graduated. And I, if I could be a professional full-time athlete, or not athlete, um, student, I would. If that Amen. could be my job, <laughs> I would take classes till I die. It's so fun to me to learn stuff. So I wanted to go back and finally found a program that I thought was interesting and a way to kind of tie together all of my interests nicely into one little bundle. Um, so I started that. It's an online program with Oregon State University. And I did take this quarter off because I was in Europe for a third of the quarter and didn't want to try and do yeah. the time difference. Yeah. So uh, I will start again in January, but it's been fun to balance that. And um, it's not too bad compared to undergrad, actually, with engineering. It feels a lot easier. Uh, it's a lot more theory-based stuff and um, reading and writing, which is a cool change because I didn't get to do a lot of that with engineering. And it just kind of feels a little more natural to me to have something else going on outside of running that I'm focused on. And then eventually that I want to make into a career with running. I want to tie it all together. Mm. So I think that will be fun. Well, as you think about the environment, on a pretty consistent basis. Is there any practical advice you can give to trail runners who share the same interest and concern about 
protecting the environment, what they can do in their daily lives to be better stewards? I think, I mean, there's lots of little things you could go into, but if I could give one general idea, it's that um, everything counts and uh, you don't have to think it's an all or nothing mentality. And Mm. you don't have to be completely vegan to think that you're helping the world. That's not the only way you can reduce your um, animal product consumption. So it's not black and white. And I do think putting pressure, an easy way to is to contribute money and votes towards causes that will push forward bigger legislation pieces um and following like pow protect our windows does a great job i think of kind of educating people and um advocating for certain like we were just advocating for the infrastructure bill that was just passed so i think it's cool to kind of get involved with that and see what is local to your area but don't feel like there, it's easy to get overwhelmed, I think, and I do too. When I start reading coursework about climate change for four hours a day, it's hard not to get a little depressed about it. Um, but there are things you can do and you can still like contribute to making a difference. So don't think that it's not worth it to even try. Cool. The last couple of questions that I want to ask here before we go into the lightning round revolve around your Twitter account. Oh, God. And I think, so here's, this is just, I mean, maybe you have a different opinion, but I feel like Twitter gets overlooked, at least in the trail running community. Like Instagram is kind of the go-to and maybe Strava. I think Twitter's awesome. And I got to commend you because you have one of the most entertaining and thought-provoking Twitter accounts in our community. You've had a lot of famous posts, in my opinion. I want to talk about the first one that I that came across my feed recently, getting rid of uh, finisher medals and t-shirts. Yes. <laughs> uh, instead of, and maybe doing something more sustainable. What First of all, I love my t-shirts because <laughs> it's either that or I go to Deseret Industries. No. Um, but uh, what are you proposing we replace that with? I think anything that's not um, something you throw away or not a material item, because I don't think okay. that the running the race, you shouldn't be running it for a prize i don't think um it's cool but you're there to have fun time with your friends to enjoy the views it's not it's just getting away from that materialistic mentality i think that our society is kind of based around so i um from that feed i learned that there is a company that plants trees which is really cool um i know that ultra sign up and trail runner magazine have started that they're going to try and offer carbon offsets in place of medals or t-shirts that you can select when you sign up. So I think that would be cool, which is something I'd much rather do. Um, Because personally, I never fit into the t-shirts. They're always way too big. And then I just end up sending them to the Deseret Industries (laughs) immediately without even wearing them. So yeah, I would just like to see us kind of move away from that mentality of like you do a race to get a prize. Um, yeah. The prize is being there and feeling accomplished, I think. <laughs> okay, I think I can get behind that. I just got to find out where I'm going to get my shirts next. <laughs> we'll get you some Saucony shirts. <laughs> <laughs> Saucony if you hear this. Um, the other tweet I want to mention is uh, you talked about this road track trail circuit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's cool because we've been talking about, you know, the divide between a lot of these areas of running and you're proposing something that unites them all together. For anyone that hasn't seen the tweet, what are you proposing here? So I thought it'd be cool. Um, I was watching the gymnastics all around this summer with the Olympics and I was like, why don't we do that in running? And I 
would like to think I could have a shot at winning it, which is also why I think we should do it. <laughs> but I just think it'd be also cool to bring people from different disciplines to all compete on a level playing field. Um, yeah. So the idea is there'd be a track race, a trail race, and a road race. And everyone does all three, and then you get points or however we want to set it up um, that contribute to your overall score, and then the best all-around runner wins. And I also wanted to do it because I think it would show a lot of maybe ignorant road and track people who think trail is a joke that maybe it's just not something like they can automatically be good at, that the people that run trail are very talented. And um, you can be good at all three, but doesn't mean you're good at one or the other. Last question here before the lightning round. Thinking about your potential career in ultras so 50k <laughs> and up are there one or two or three races that have piqued your interest that you could see yourself entering into five ten years down the road or maybe sooner yeah um i mean yeah all the big ones it's just fun to see at western states is iconic utmb um any of the big ultras i think comrades too into oceans Ooh. some road 50ks would be pretty fun and interesting so yeah, just kind of all the big ones. I'm open. Um, definitely not something. I did run a 50k last summer with a friend for her virtual 50k, and after eight hours, I was like, "This is not something I want to be racing right now. <laughs> I'm kind of done running at this point." So I'm not there yet, but it does intrigue me, and I definitely want to do that. So uh, maybe we see you at Comrades at some point in time, or <laughs> yeah. maybe lining up for a golden ticket race for yeah. Western States. Who knows? Um, okay. Very cool. Going into this lightning round, we get a little bit philosophical. Okay. What is a book, movie, or podcast that you have consumed recently that has changed the way you think about the world? Um, this was my lame answer when you sent these over that I could think about, but it was a Malcolm Gladwell podcast episode, Ooh. which I can send you. And it was about, um, Tide Pods and how sustainability on washing clothes and how let, that might be an activity people don't even think about. Mm. How can I make this more sustainable climate wise? And that actually, um, like the non- eco-friendly that aren't branded as such are actually more eco-friendly than the ones that are marketed that way um, and that the single easiest and most effective thing you can do when you're doing your uh, laundry is to just switch it to cold so you always run all your loads on cold so you're not using any energy to heat the water um, saves way more energy than buying the eco-friendly pods or doing other stuff so that was interesting perspective because i think we get fed a narrative of like you have to do all this crazy stuff to be eco-friendly when if you just wash your clothes on cold that's the most effective thing you could do that's awesome and for listeners that are interested we will link that in the show notes next question here are there any particular people on social media that you really enjoy following and that you look up to um, just for inspiration, whether it's in running or for environmental activism or for business? Um, I guess, so my friends, I'm always inspired by my friends. And I think it's because I have a close relationship with them and love seeing them do well. Yeah. So that's always fun. And then Jelaine Flanagan, that was very cool to see her do so well after kind of retiring, getting surgery, coming back and running six marathons in 42 days and all under a 
crazy fast time. So um, I do look up to her a lot. And then I think a lot of the POW athletes that I'm mm. kind of ambassadors with, I look up to them too because um, Caroline Gleick lives here in Park City. Yes, 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 yes. And she's very outspoken about uh sustainability and environmental justice and just like what people can do and legislation stuff so following her is cool because i'm not always that confident in political stuff um so she's someone i look up to on that front as somebody who's worked in politics i can totally appreciate that and that's fantastic yeah shout out to pow we mm -hmm. will link to them in the show notes as well the last question here in the lightning round I'm stealing this one from Tim Ferriss, but I just think it's so good. If you could put a message on a highway billboard for all to see, what would it be? What would it say? Um, airplane arms or you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, what does that mean? Well, I always think if you don't have the uncontrollable urge to do airplane arms when you're running on a trail or doing single track or switchback, then you're not doing it right. <laughs> You should be like so happy to be out there. I love that. That is the perfect place to put a pin in it. But before <laughs> we go, um, we'll make sure to link your journal in the show notes as well as in the weekly newsletter. Um, we'll put all those links to POW and the Malcolm Gladwell podcast. Uh, where can people find you on social and where are you most active? And uh, if they want to get in touch, yeah, what's the best way to uh, connect? Yeah, so my... All social handles are racing underscore underscore Grayson. Okay. And website is also racing Grayson. Um, I have an email on there for the training logs. And then I also am pretty good at responding to messages as long as they're nice, like I said. So um, if you have something nice to say, I would love to chat with you on Instagram. It's probably where I'm most active. Awesome. Well, Grayson, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. It's time to put a pin in it. Let's go run a couple laps around Let's Liberty Park. Let's do it. <laughs> Peace. Thanks to Grayson for coming on the pod. I have avidly followed her career. As I mentioned earlier in the show, over the past two to three years, she is obviously tearing it up in every realm of running. I do selfishly want to see her on the ultra scene ASAP. That said, I think we can expect to see her do many more special things on the road track and at the sub ultra distance on trails until then. Uh, two favors to ask before signing off. Uh, the first, if you could please rate and review this podcast in Apple or Spotify, it helps more potential listeners discover the show. Uh, number two, if you are a fan of the pod, you might also be a fan of the single track newsletter as well. It is delivered to your inbox every Sunday, and it summarizes all the coolest trail and ultra running content that I could find on the internet from the week that was. To subscribe, simply go to finnmelanson.com. That's F-I-N-N-M-E-L-A-N-S-O-N.com and enter your email in the box above the fold. That is all for now. Thank you again for everything you do to support the show. Until next time.